Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. So how's this for a headline? Man lives in a tree after a fight with his wife 50 years ago. True story. Happened in India. Evidently, this man started living his life in a treehouse, refusing repeated pleas from his wife and his children to come home. His wife said, we quarreled over a tiny issue, and this is why he left me. And he promised not to live with me or return home until he dies. Now, we should wonder, what in this world, what in the world does this man hope to accomplish by living in a treehouse? Well, here's his claim. He claims that living in a treehouse has helped his spiritual growth And it has helped him overcoming tensions with his wife. Okay, number one, that's taking unforgiveness to an extreme. I don't care what happened in that household. And number two, that's certainly not the right approach to spiritual growth. Now, teaching on marriage issues, that's got to come another time, another sermon. But let's talk about spiritual growth. How do you grow spiritually? That's going to be the subject of us going forward the next few weeks to focus upon. And with that in mind, we turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. In speaking about the day that Jesus will return, Peter in chapter 3 of his second letter, in verse 13, so it's one verse prior to our reading that we've got listed, says this, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. He's speaking about the promise that Jesus has given that upon His return, we are looking forward to this new heaven and new earth. And then verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. There is only one way to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying, here's the one who imparts his perfection and his peace. You want to find peace with God? Then believe in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. Verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The Lord's patience, His not yet coming, allows for the full measure of those who are supposed to come to faith to come to faith. Our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, he's talking about the Apostle Paul, also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Verse 16, He, that is Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Now, get what Peter says here. Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Anyone want to argue with that? (laughs) You ever read Romans? Ever read anything of Paul? 
His letters contain things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Peter's talking about how some people want to water down the gospel or try to change the truths so that it's not so much a challenge to the way that we live our lives, so that it's not so much a challenge to what we want to believe. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, that is, forewarned of the coming of false teachers into your midst, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. We're going to come back to that, that phrase about the position that we have and what is Peter talking about. We'll get there. Last verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That word of is really important. Peter doesn't just say, hey, grow in knowledge, period. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, you want to know what I believe? Of course you do. I mean, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. I believe every Christian has a desire to grow and mature in their walk with Christ. The problem is our desire doesn't always match reality. And so beginning today, we're going to look more closely at Scriptures in order to learn how we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First, why is this important? Why would Peter end his letters? Peter has two letters in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. This is Second Peter. What we have read is the last thing that he writes. Verse 18 is the last thing that Peter writes, period. Why would Peter end his letters with this command for Christians to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because Peter knew that spiritual growth is essential to the life of a Christian just as physical growth is essential to the life of a child. Now, if you're a parent, and if you had a child who was not growing physically, what are you going to do? You're going to seek out all the help you possibly can. You're going to do everything you know how to do and go after the best resources. And when are you going to stop? When you've exhausted every possible facet and you feel like you're on to something. And Peter is saying that's how important spiritual growth is to all of us. Well, not only does Peter command us to grow spiritually, but so does the Lord Jesus. Let me give you an example from one of his parables. Recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the parable best known as the parable of the sower. I'm actually going to share Mark's version. I know the sermon notes has it as Luke, but I changed that yesterday. I said, let's go with Mark. You don't need to know why, just let's go with Mark. 
in Mark chapter 4, we hear about the four different types of soil into which the seed of God is being planted. In other words, these soils represent humanity. The first is the hardened path. This is someone with a closed mind so that God's Word, the seed of God's Word cannot penetrate, cannot get rooted, cannot sprout. It it never has a chance. The second type is the rocky soil. This is someone who is excited to hear God's Word at first, but then they never let it sink in. They can even attend church week after week after week and never be changed. And you think, how is that possible? And you'd say, well, if the pastor was a little bit more interesting, maybe that... Well, let me tell you this. Your spiritual growth is not up to me. Your spiritual growth is not even up to the church. It's on you to grow spiritually. Now, the church and its ministries can certainly aid in your walk with Christ, but we can't make you more spiritual. We don't have that kind of authority. The third type of soil comprised of those among the weeds or thorns, depends upon the translation. The people that are represented by this type, Jesus goes on to explain. This is one of those parables, there aren't very many, that Jesus then, He gives the parable and then He comes back and then He explains it and He gives it exact meaning. So for those upon which the seed fell in the thorns or the weeds, what is that all about? Who is that representing? Jesus describes it in verse 19 by saying, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. We might look at this and say, well, at least this is better than a closed mind, right? Here, at least, the Word of God gets into your mind, gets into your heart, and starts growing. But as it's growing, other things come into your life, and they begin to choke out your time with God. This is the soil that represents much of our generation. We are committed to so many other demands in life. Sorry, God, I'll get to it tomorrow. Sorry, God, you get the leftovers. I've got to get to work. I've got things on my mind. I've got places to be, people to see, things to do. And we simply get too busy. So what is the path to spiritual growth? Jesus said it this way. There is a fourth category. It's the seed that falls on good soil. What makes it good soil? What makes those people have Jesus describe them as good soil? Well, they hear the Word They hear the Word of God. They hear the Bible's truths. But they don't just hear. 
They accept it. They internalize it. They begin to make it take root, put it into practice. They hear, they accept, and what happens as a result? They produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the person who decides, okay, God, I'm ready to hear from you. And whatever you tell me to do, help me put it into practice. So how do you know what God wants? Well, He's given us a whole book on where to find life and freedom and how to leave mediocrity and guilt behind. Maybe you need to say, Jesus, I want to open my mind. Jesus, I want to open my heart. Jesus, I want to open my life to you. I don't understand it all, but I want to. I know you can make a difference in my life. Come on in. So let me make some further observations about spiritual growth, in particular, what spiritual growth is not, and then we'll come back in and hone in on what spiritual growth is again. Number one, spiritual growth isn't necessarily related to time. Some people have been Christians for a long time, but have grown little spiritually, while others have been Christians for a short time, but have grown exponentially. Your commitment to growth is what matters, not the amount of time that you've been at it. Spiritual maturity cannot be measured by a calendar. Number two, spiritual growth isn't necessarily related to knowledge. The issue is knowledge alone is not enough. Over and over throughout the gospel, Satan and his demons know who Jesus is. It's what you do with what you know. Only when knowledge conforms you to the image of Christ are you on your way to spiritual growth. Number three, spiritual growth isn't necessarily related to religious activity. Some people think they have grown spiritually just because they've served on a committee or sung in a group or been otherwise active in a church. They assume that if you're busy... You must be growing spiritually. Look, the Jewish leadership group, the Pharisees, were very busy with religion. And no one was further from the truth than they were. Finally, spiritual growth isn't necessarily related to prosperity. Some people believe that just because they have resources, they have God's favor. If they possess much, they think God has blessed them because they are such wonderful Christians. That may or may not be true. Having an abundance is no more of an indication that you are spiritually mature than being poor is an indication that God is not at work in your life. So what is spiritual growth? Well, it's not the result of some clever secret or formula. Spiritual growth is simply matching your practice with your position in Christ. 
Paul taught, I mean, Peter talked about in his letter about not leaving your position. So what's he getting at here? What am, I, what am I saying by this? Spiritual growth is matching your practice with your position in Christ. What I mean by that is spiritual growth is simply putting into practice who you are in Christ. Here's just some of what the Bible says about you if you are in Christ. You have a righteousness from God, Romans 1.17. You are complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. You have everything you need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. You have all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. Spiritual growth is putting into practice who you are in Christ. It's about moving toward your position in Christ, and that's a lifelong journey. But the most important, the most important concept and understanding and experience in spiritual growth is in that last verse from Peter. Now, we read this, but grow, this was his command, remember? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You say, yeah, we got that. But it's the next line that's really important. And you may look at this and say, well, that's just an ending, right? It's just an ending to the story. It's an ending to his letter. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Here's the thing. The key to spiritual growth is the glory of God. Giving glory to God is vitally related to spiritual growth. Therefore, it is essential to understand what it means to glorify God. First, you need to know that everything exists for the purpose of glorifying God. The Westminster Confession, Shorter Catechism, begins by stating that our chief end, our ultimate purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Bible says that the entire universe glorifies God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. The entire universe glorifies God. The angels glorify God. At Jesus' birth, they sang glory to God in the highest heaven. And the saints in heaven glorify God. Revelation tells us that at history's climax... When all of the saints are safely in heaven, they will sing a great song giving glory to God. But the Bible also shows us what happens when God's glory is rejected. You see, nothing is more important to God than His glory. Isaiah 48, 11, this is the Lord speaking, I will not yield my glory to another. God has created everything to glorify Himself. Therefore, He strongly opposes those who act contrary to that purpose. Let me give you two illustrations of this truth, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The first illustration of what happens when God's glory is rejected is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, it is said of him, this is 
King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence? He's, he's looking out over from his palace. He's looking out over his kingdom. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? What's he saying? How wonderful am I? Look at what I've done. The very next verse, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. God speaks to him. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. He had gone too far. No one competes with God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's story continues. God said, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you. That's, in other words, seven years. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. (laughs) And immediately it happened. This once mighty king became a raving maniac and lived in the wild. But then we read, At the end of that time, (laughs) seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. You think you got it? (laughs) Then I praised the Most High and I honored and I glorified Him who lives forever. He finally realized that only God deserves all the glory. The second illustration of what happens when God's glory is rejected is the story of King Herod Agrippa I. There are four generations of Herods mentioned in the New Testament. King Herod Agrippa I is the third of those four. In Acts chapter 12, we read of God's judgment upon this Herod. On the appointed day, Herod... Wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Upon him finishing this public address, oh, they were so amazed. They were enthralled. What did the people say? It's kind of like what you want to say. This is the voice of a... No, never mind. This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately. Because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. It did not go well with Herod, and he was eaten by worms and died. Pretty abrupt ending to Herod's big day, don't you think? But here's the thing. Whoever refuses to acknowledge God's glory will eventually be brought down by God. One final verse, in Colossians 1.16, the Apostle Paul writes, For in Him, that is in Jesus, all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. You see, God made us for Himself so that we might know Him in all of His fullness. That we might know what God fully provides. For in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone is there forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life for those who believe. God wants to have a relationship with you. Sin gets in the way. Jesus Christ deals with our sin. He goes to the cross and He dies in our place for our sins. There's only one thing you need to do, and that's trust Him. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.